The following audio is from the Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit grove.church. Well, good morning. How are we doing? That was weak. The eight. 8.30 service was way better. It was like half amount of people as there are right now. Okay, so let's try that again. I'm going to give you one more shot at this, okay? I'm an equal opportunity kind of guy. How's everybody doing this morning? Great. Hey, see, that's awesome. You guys are here. I feel like Jimmy Fallon. You made it. You're here. You're here. You made it. Tonight's show, if you haven't seen it. There you go. I feel like Jimmy Fallon. Uh, no, glad that you are here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Ryan, one of the pastors on staff here at The Grove. Uh, and you, today we end our Upside Down Kingdom series. This is our fifth and final installment. It's one of the best series, one of my favorite series we've done in quite some time. Um, if you haven't been able to catch every single one of these, or if you haven't caught any of it at all, if you're joining us for the first time, highly encourage you to visit our website. It's real simple, grove.church. Click on media. You can podcast it right there. So listen to it as you're driving down the road in your car or if you're, if you're, if you're a visual type of person like me and you want to watch it, we actually video record these so you can vodcast it. I'll teach a few of you. Vodcast just simply means video cast. So you can do that as well. Um, because this is a powerful series, which is a study and a look at that there is a kingdom of God. God has established a kingdom. And in this kingdom that we as Christians, followers of Christ, that we should live in, these are rules or better said values that he established for us to live by. And we say upside down kingdom because his kingdom and these values sometimes are upside down, inside out, and look completely different than the kingdom that we live in every day, that we see in our culture every day, our society every single day. And so just as a refresh on which uh, topics we've tackled, the first one was if you want to be exalted, humble yourself, right? Humble yourself and then God will exalt you. Seems like the opposite thing you'd want to do if you want to be exalted. The second one uh, we learned was it's more blessed to give than receive, right? The opposite of what we see in our culture and in our world. And the next one was that the first will be last in the kingdom of God. The first will be last and the last will be first. Powerful message. Go and listen to that if you missed it. And then a few weeks ago, our fourth installment, which was by far one of the best messages I've heard in a really, really long time. Nick shared that to die is actually to live. And if you missed that Sunday, I want you to go home today, vodcast it, podcast it, do something. Some of you, you were here and you need to hear it again. It was powerful. And today we look at the last installment, the last ideal or topic in this Upside Down Kingdom series, and it's this. Whoever wishes to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven must be servant of all. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to take those out. We always encourage you to bring your Bible. One of the greatest resources that we have as Christ followers is the Bible. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 33. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. Um, I use my Bible app a lot. So if you, if you have a, the YouVersion Bible app or a different kind of Bible app on your phone, you can uh, pull that up and follow along as well. Uh, if none of those tickle your fancy, there's actually a Bible on the bottom of the seat in front of you that you can take, use today, or even keep if you don't own one. Our gift to you. But again, Mark chapter 9, verse 33. And as you're turning there, uh, I want to give you just a bit of a context uh, of what we're about to see. So we are jumping in on the journey that Jesus and his disciples are on. They're going from city to city. They're doing crazy, miraculous signs and wonders and teachings. Okay, this ragtag, ragamuffin, motley crew that Jesus put together that are his 12 disciples, right, are traveling from place to place. In fact, up until this point, 
uh, or actually already uh, has been realized and understood by the disciples, and they've called it out. Jesus in one moment says, who does everybody say that I am? So he's asking his disciples, all these people are coming. We fed the 5,000. We've done these miracles. Who do they say I am? And the disciples have already identified and said, well, some of them say that you're John the Baptist. Come again. Some of you say that you're Elijah come again, or another prophet, and Jesus says, but who do you say I am? And Peter stands up and says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. So this is where we find them. They've already realized that. They're on their journeys. And in Mark chapter 9, verse 33, we see this. It says, they came to Capernaum. And when he, Jesus, was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Uh-oh. It's kind of like principal office time, right? I heard you guys arguing. What were you arguing about? It says, but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest among them. And sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last. Sounds familiar, right? And the servant of all. And then it says, he took a child and had him stand among them. And taking him in his arms, Jesus said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children... In my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Let's pray this morning as we dive in. God, we say that we love you. We know that you are a good God, that you are a good Father. No matter what we face, the ups, the downs, you are good. You are sovereign. That word sovereign, God, meaning you know all things. You are good. There is no bad in you. And God, we put our faith in who you are. And like we do each time we come to church in your presence, Every time we come into your presence at home alone in our devotions, or God, when you're teaching us stuff on the road and the, of life and these situations that arise, God, we want to be changed. We don't want to be the same when we leave this morning as when we came in. That every day, every moment in your presence is an opportunity to change. And we admit that we don't have everything right. We don't understand everything. There are, there are moments when we're making mistakes or just don't understand and you want to help guide us. And so we give you permission as a church to come and speak to our hearts today. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. So we know theologically speaking that the disciples are men. But when I read this, I get the picture that there are a bunch of adolescent boys walking along and following somebody that they look up to and they're competing with one another, right? You ever been there? Well, I, I'm, I'm taller than you. Yeah, but I'm stronger than you. Oh, I could throw that rock farther than you, right? Let's do a race. I'll beat you there. Right? What is it about competition or a place of, of having position of, of being better? Or, or what is it about what the disciples are doing? And let's be honest, what we've done, we can see children certainly do that. Let's be honest, even as adults, we still have this thing in us that competes, needs places of honor and entitlement and things like that. What is it about the disciples in the situation where they're jockeying for position, competition, need for ranking. Who's the greatest among us? Right? They're following Jesus, which now, again, we remember that he's not just some prophet. He's not just a great teacher. They have recognized in their spirit and in their heart that he is the son of God. And they're one of his 12 people. I'm part of Jesus' entourage. That's a big deal, right? And by all intents and purposes, at the top, whatever the leadership is, Caesar, on his throne, King Herod on his throne, right? Religious leaders, best places at the parties, places of, of prominence, right? They see that when you grow and when you're more important, you get these places of position and, 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 and uh, uh, these, these rights and these privileges that you don't necessarily have when you're farther down the ladder. 
And so here they are traveling together. They're arguing amongst themselves like adolescent boys about who is the greatest among them. So Jesus not only teaches them but also illustrates for them in Mark chapter 9. Why do you think he pulls a child in? See, they don't actually respond to him and say we were arguing about who's the greatest. Remember it says they kept silent? But Jesus knew this heart, this, this human condition that was inside of them. And he knew it because all humanity has it. You and I have this. And he knows that this is what they're arguing about, but they keep silent. And so he pulls a child. Why a child? Children are at the bottom end of the social status, right? Right, prominent place. And not, not a whole lot unlike our culture today. Right, well, like kids and, okay, yeah, you know, hey, you can't be bothering Jesus with, with the little kids. He's not daycare, right? I mean, you, this is important stuff we're doing here, right? He pulls a child in to say, no, no, I'm flipping upside down your concept that you've been indoctrinated with that you were born into, that you've seen since the moment you were born and raised. First off, it's innate within us. Little kids at the youngest ages will do this stuff, right? It's also taught by society and culture. The higher up the ladder you get, the more important you are. You, know, you become the CEO, you're not washing toilets anymore. Right? We've got certain rights and privileges as you make your way and you have better position and title. And Jesus is addressing this and saying, no, no, no. Be like a child. You think that they're at the bottom of this social ladder and status, but, but they're just as important. So he touches on that. He illustrates that. There's another scripture I want us to read because this isn't the only instance in which we see this human condition, this issue we see Jesus address. Now, this is really difficult to find. Okay, it's really, really hard. So you need to pay very close attention um, to find this next passage of scripture, okay? I want you to, if you have your Bible, just take it and turn one page. Okay. And so in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, we say the same, we see the same thing take place, the same human condition come out. We don't know the amount of time necessarily that took place from this first, we, for us it's just a chapter later, right? So sometime later, we see in Mark 10, 35, we see this. It says, then James and John, two of the twelve disciples, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, to Jesus, and said, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's an audacious request. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left when you were in your glory. Pause for a second. Same exact human condition. They want a place of honor. Jesus is the man. He's not just equal to the other kings that they've seen. They know that he's divine. He is the king of kings. And they're saying when you're in your glory, when you're in heaven and you're on your throne, let us be your right hand guys. We know that term. We still use it today in our culture. Right? We want to be up there. We want to be at the place of importance. There's something within us that drives us to do this. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, check this out. You will drink the cup I drink. And this is a sermon for a whole other day. I don't think they had any idea what they were getting themselves into. You will drink from the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the ten heard about this, the other ten disciples, they became indignant with James and John. Yep, I think we'd become indignant, right? If our siblings were jockeying for favoritism with mom and dad at the top of the family structure, right? I think we'd become indignant with, with coworkers who are trying to brown nose and get their way in for favoritism with the boss to get this new job and new privileges, right? They became indignant with James and John. They became jealous. And then Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles 
lord it over them. That word lord, don't get confused, right? That's not a title. He's using that as a verb. They lord it. They oppress it. They make sure the people below them know that they're below them, right? The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Check this out. Flips it upside down. Not so with you. Not so. Not what you've seen. Not the kings. Not the leaders. Not the stuff that you've seen, you've been raised with, you've seen in your culture, you've seen in the Roman culture. Don't do that. Don't do that what everybody else is doing. Not so with you. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Come on, underline that word servant if you have your Bible. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Come on, that's a powerful word imagery, right? Slave. This isn't, hey, go serve. I heart one day, I went and served. Hey, this little thing, I'll help somebody serve. It's a title, servant and slave. And he says in verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, questions of rank and status were normal, played important roles in the Jewish culture at that time, not a whole lot unlike our culture. But Jesus, what he was saying is you see this around you, you see the way that it is, you know what you've experienced, you know, as you've grown up, whether it's in the corporate structure or in your family structure, that when you get up to the top, man, you get all these privileges and all of these rights and all of this entitlement. You don't have to do the lowly jobs anymore. You don't, you don't have to be, your opinion matters. You're, a, you're at the seat at the table to make the decisions. You're not just the youngest who's out you know, doing something different and not important. He says, you've seen all of this, but I'm telling you, not so with you. Not so with you. He said, he's basically saying, these things that you've seen, they play no role in my value system. Being at the top, having the title, doing these things, and, and then lording it over and using it for your gain. And, 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 and ultimately, at the core of our hearts is we're better than other people. He's still saying the same thing to us. He says, not so with you. Right, we even see in Mark 9, and again here, didn't you hear those terms? Sounded probably pretty familiar. Right, and Mark 9, he said, Jesus said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last. And you're saying, wait, wait, Ryan, whoa. So we had a sermon already that was the first will be last. Is this like the same thing? Is it, is it different? I think sometimes, and I think this is a good point for clarity, is we think of these five different topics in this series, and we think of them, to give it a kind of a picture illustration, we think of it like this. We think of them as separate individual things. And to be honest, each individual thing does play out in specific variables in and to themselves. But a rep better representation of how these things relate to one another is more like this. Right? They, they coexist together. See what I did there? This is, a, this is a preacher being relevant. Olympics. Just had the Olympics. Check. Winning. Okay. No, but I'm kidding. But, but here's the deal. They are interwoven and intertwined. And what they do is they don't just stand alone. They they, they envelop one another, they surpass, they overlap one another, and it builds this system, this value system of the kingdom of God. And so we say, okay, well, man, it sounds good. I, I want to be the greatest. I want to leave my mark on society. I want to leave a legacy. I want to I I matter. I want my life to matter. I want to be great. We want to do that, but, but then how do, if, the, if, if this is the case, if I know like the message a couple weeks ago that it was better to give than receive, and if I give, I don't just get back what I've given, 
I get, it, I get more. I get you know, shaken down, pressed together, and overflowing. I get more. If, if Ryan, if these things are true, why doesn't more people exercise this? Why aren't more people living like this? Why is our culture the way that it is? If this is true, and it's more blessed, and there's going to be greater things that happen in our lives, then, then why don't more people do it? That's a great question because it's really hard. It goes against everything our nature Everything within us, everything we've learned, everything we've been taught, everything that's happening around us, it goes against all of those things. It's one thing to know it. It's a whole other thing to actually live it. Most of us say, yeah, I'll go help, serve, sure. I'll go serve as an act, doing something for somebody. But to have the title of a servant, cleaning toilets, doing the low things, feeding a king his, his grapes and fanning him with I don't want that. And slave? It's really hard because we don't like that idea of being a slave, especially now in our culture. America, are you kidding me? The rights I have as an American citizen. Oh, you can't do that. You get my, you can't, I get my phone call. You, hey, I can't work that many hours. you got to give me a break. I, my union says. and It's all these rights and these freedoms and these privileges that we think we have. And we exercise. It's bred into us. It's not easy to actually do. And I remember when we talked about it's better to give than receive, we talked about one of the root issues in our hearts that make us greedy, one of the root issues in our hearts of why we're not generous is selfishness. And one of the roots of this situation of why we don't become servants and why we don't want to become slave of all is because the root is entitlement. One of the roots is entitlement. Let me give you an example, an illustration. How many of you guys have been, uh, ever been to an Easter egg hunt? Okay, half of you are lying. Come on, try it again. How many of you guys have been in Easter egg? Come on, people. All right, little plastic eggs with candy or treats or something in them, right? And a lot of times when we think of an Easter egg hunt, the, the, the picture would be represented maybe like this, right? Right, it's all nice and it's sweet and every kid gets the same amount of eggs and everybody's happy, right? Have you ever been to a public Easter egg hunt with like hundreds of, or thousands of kids? It's more like this. Come on. It's crazy. It's a battlefield out there, right? Let me explain it. Uh, a few years back, we, uh, I helped to run a public Easter egg hunt. And I think we had four to 600 kids that came. And so we had a field just, I mean, imagine our upper parking lot up here with no cars in it from the gravel all the way back, just filled with Easter eggs, right? Which, by the way, how fun is that? I mean, you just run, I, mean I used to like to hide and find them. They're hidden. They're under things. They're up top. They're below, you know. This is just, just it's just how, who, how fast can you run and get out there? But that, besides the point, right? We made a huge mistake. We didn't break it down uh, by age. <laughs> yeah. So, so you had you had little kids, right? Oh, they're sweet. They got their little basket and they're pretty and the whole deal, right? And then you got like medium-sized kids. They got snot running down their nose, right? And then you got like the older kids, right? So we said go, and you can guess what happened, right? It was like a, an Everett Silver Tips hockey game, okay? I mean, older kids are checking the middle kids, are running into the little kids, and they run faster than everybody, so they get across the field. And they've got so many eggs that they have to leave ones behind because they can't carry them all, right? And then you got the medium-sized kids, right, who crying. They pick themselves up, and they see straggler eggs, so they go, and they got like a handful of eggs by the end. And then you got the little cute little ones that are still crying in the same spot they got no, because this is traumatizing, right? This has been, it's the Braveheart scene, right? And so then you got a mom or a dad, right? You see the parents come afterwards. And, of course, they, you know, maybe they have an older kid, a middle kid, you know, and, and a younger, right? So they've got Johnny and, and, and Sally and, and Bobby, right? And so they go, okay, Johnny, you need to give, you know, you need to give your, your, your you know, little, little Susie, little Bobby some eggs. you got so many eggs. And what does Johnny say? These are my eggs. Mine. I earned them. I ran. I followed the rules. These are my eggs, right? Entitlement. These are my eggs. 
And then you got, you know, you got little Susie in the middle who's she's got some eggs, she's crying because Johnny's got more and won't share. And then you still got the little one who's crying unconsolably in the same spot they got knocked down at the very beginning, right? <laughs> Traumatic experience. Entitlement. All right, maybe the Easter egg hunt doesn't do it for you. So let me give you another analogy, okay? Shopping the day after Thanksgiving, okay? Black Friday. Now listen, if you've done the black, I've never done this. I've never gone out on Black Friday and shopped. If you do this, I'm not judging you, but you're crazy, okay? And we see the reports. We see the news of people fighting and, and pulling, and it's, it's the same thing as the Easter egg hunt. Right, there's this new kitchen appliance I gotta have and, and the KitchenAid mixer and I'm gonna bake like crazy for Christmas and I'm having the ladies and family over and so you get in line and you get in there and you're, and you're grabbing your stuff and it, it just gets nuts. And fellas, you're no better. Best Buy's having the sale on the 65 inch Ultra K 4K TV, right? And you get in there and it becomes pandemonium. And you got managers who are trying to, 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 who got it first, and there's a tug of war happening, and, 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 and workers are trying to figure it out, and it's like, no, I got it first. And no, no, I saw it, I touched it first. No, I saw it first, right? And when you get it, it's mine. I, it's, I got this. I earned this. This is my rights. I got it. I, I played by the rules. It's entitlement. Have you guys have seen Jingle All the Way? <laughs> seen Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger? If you haven't, I just got to give you... Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sinbad. Enough said, okay? <laughs> they're fighting over, it's, they're shopping for Christmas. There's this, this action figure doll that they want. And the, whole, the whole story is about this, right? Christmas is coming. People, Christmas is coming. You know I'd work Christmas into this message somehow. I love Christmas. Christmas is coming, okay? And these are funny examples. But let me give you some more serious ones. Just, just some real life scenarios where entitlement plays out. Yeah, but I'm the CEO now. I've worked my way up. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I paid my time, and now I got the corner office with the windows. And you know what? I got the parking spot right up front with my name on it. You can't park there. And, of course, I'm not telling you that I'm better than you. I wouldn't say those words. But by parking here, I'm telling you that I'm better than you. See, this is the issue that Jesus is addressing. When we are unwilling to become servant of all, you know why there's not very many people that actually do this? We don't actually do this in our lives. Because it means giving up all of these kind of things. This entitlement, the rights, the privileges that we think we have. And I'm not saying that, that weeks of vacation or incentives from work are bad things. But it's when the sum of all of these things added up equals a total that our heart is in the wrong place. And we would never say it because it's not politically correct to say I'm better than you. But when you're a manager and you're utilizing and, and abusing the people underneath you to get it. I'm not talking about not getting the job done. We've got a job to do. But when you do it just for your gain, make it easier for, for, for us if we're in those positions, we're saying we're better than you. I, I don't clean the toilets anymore. Nick would kill me if he was in here and heard me say this. But I love having a great pastor. Do you know where he parks? Dental office, the farthest away that you can get. Why? On Sundays? Because he wants guests that are going to come. So we as a staff, we do this. But many of us have worked for the opposite of that. We work for people, nope, I get the front spot. Nope, I've got this. Nope, it's my way or the highway. And it's not just work, it's family, it's friends. It plays out in society altogether. And the key is it's a heart issue. That's what Jesus is addressing with the disciples. That's what he's addressing with us. It's a heart issue. You've seen it. The farther up you go, the more rights you have, the more privileges you have. And those underneath you, you rule it over them. You lord it over them. They're there for you to do what you want them to do. And here's the thing. We live in a society, I've mentioned it already, where we have rights. 
I think it's harder for Americans to do this than even, even other people in our world. We just are bred with this. We have certain inalienable rights. You can't tell me to do that. You got to give me a lunch break because my, you can't do that. I got this and you can't say that and you have no right to. And I got freedoms. Right? I got freedoms in Jesus. All things are lawful, Ryan. All things are lawful. My scripture tells me all things are lawful. Do you notice that it follows up directly with, but not all things are profitable? See, but that's just bred in us. It's something innate, and it's something that we learn from the very youngest of ages, and we see it all over the place. If anybody had rights, if anybody who ever walked the face of this earth had rights and the ability to claim these privileges, it should have been Jesus. He was the king of kings and the lord of lords. He was divine. If there's anybody that could have said, give me a throne and let me sit on it, and yet what happened when he's crucified, they hang mocking him a sign over that says king of the Jews. Or if anybody had the ability to call, hey, nope, I'm calling, call him foul, I'm calling angels, come save me. I don't want to be arrested. I don't want to be beaten. I don't want to be whipped 39 times with a cat of nine tails, a whip. The Romans were experts, experts at torture. And they knew that 40 times would kill a man, so they gave him 39. If anybody had the right to not be crucified and to stop it, it could have been him. But he didn't do it. And when we start claiming privileges and rights that Jesus never claimed for himself, that's when we know we're in trouble. When we start claiming these rights and these privileges that Jesus never claimed for himself, it just illuminates the fact that we are off base in our hearts with what he was trying to teach the disciples, what he's trying to teach us. See, Jesus taught on this many times. He illustrated it many times, even with children. Remember? Remember in Mark 9 when he brought a child in amongst them? And again, why did he do that? Even the illustration of who he chose for his disciples. Another message for another day. You ever wonder to yourself when you read that? Jesus strolling down the beach. They're out fishing. Hey, come follow me. Okay. Seems a little weird, right? Why did he choose them? Lowest end of the socioeconomic structure of their culture. Taxpayer, tax collectors who were hated. Fishermen, they weren't educated. Why did he choose them? He's trying to teach and model and illustrate for them and for us, there is a different set of values that we're missing. And these other things that we see in our kingdom around us are not in his value system. And so he's trying to illustrate this. There's another instance later when, when people were trying to bring Jesus' uh, children to him. And the disciples were shooing them away saying, no, this is Jesus. He's casting out demons, walking on water, okay, calming the storms. Taking three loaves and fishes and, and feeding thousands and thousands of people. He's doing miracles. He's not here for daycare, okay? And what does Jesus say? No, let them come unto me. For such as this, the kingdom has been created for such as these. He's flipping upside down their understanding of how we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live. I want to end with this, just a couple illustrations. Jesus not only taught on it several times, illustrated it several times, he also modeled it. Great leaders model what they say. It's not just do as I say, it's do as I do. And we see it over and over in scripture. We know that ultimately, and the disciples don't understand it all throughout until they actually see him get arrested. They don't understand that he's been foreshadowing many times what was to come. That he was going to be arrested, beaten, crucified, and that he would rise again. Remember he said, hey, he was talking about the temple. I'm going to tear down the temple and raise it in three days. They thought he was talking about the physical temple where they would meet bricks and mortar and, and rooms and all of that. He was talking about himself. I'm going to die, but I'm going to be rose again in three days. Right? He's foreshadowing what's to come. And so we know that ultimately he gives his life. Like verse 45. Mark 10, 45 says, for the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. The ultimate act of sacrifice was to give his life. So we know that. There's a situation which you model that I want to end with today. And you remember the story when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? Right, they're getting ready for the final, right, the final supper when they're together. And as it was a custom then that day, because you walked everywhere you went, had dirty feet, those kind of things, you would wash your feet before you had a meal of importance like this. That, that's what the culture, that's what the customs were. And so Jesus takes a cloth and he wraps it around himself so that he can dry their feet when he's done. He gets a basin of water and he says he begins to wash their feet. And Peter, brash Peter, right, put your foot in your mouth throughout your life, Peter, right, says, no, Jesus, you will not wash my feet. And a lot of times when we hear this story, we hear about the fact that, wow, Jesus did this and he served them. He was trying to give them an example. And you know what feet were like then? Feet weren't like the pedicured feet that you have now, okay? Y'all, I see you. Ladies, it's not just you. Men, a couple of you, I've seen them on Facebook. You're posting, you're getting pedicures, okay? Wasn't the nice smelling, beautifully painted feet, right? They'll say, hey, we're dusty. You know what it's like when your son comes home and he's been playing basketball and he takes his shoes off, that stinky, nasty, ranky smell. Oh, you get those socks up there, you go take a shower, right? They were dirty. They walked everywhere. They used the roads in Palestine to get everywhere they needed to go. What else used the roads? Donkeys and horses. That's poop, people. You ever been to the Evergreen State Fair? Okay, animals go. You get poop on your feet. And these are the things that we see, and it is nasty, and it is gross. But this was a paradigm-shifting moment with his disciples right before the Last Supper. That in their culture, there's no way that a king would stoop down and do the lowliest of low to those that were his servants or those that were underneath him. And Peter says, you're not washing my feet. There's no way I'm letting you do this. Here's the deal. Peter was not perfect, but he loved Jesus. And he recognized that Jesus was, was heads and tails astronomically above any earthly king. And there's no way that he was going to let him do this. And, and Jesus says something to him, and I want to tell you something. If you take nothing else away from this morning, please hear this. Because he's saying it to us too. He says, Peter, if you don't partake in this, if you don't let me do this, you have no part in me. He's saying that to me. He's saying that to you. And what he's not saying is you don't let me wash your feet. Some theologians will say, hey, this, was, this is a deep topic, right? This is, there was symbolism happening that Jesus was washing and cleaning them. But remember, they had already been, right, they had already been, had their salvation. They had already had their spiritual cleansing, which is a one-time event in our lives. When we put our faith in Jesus, recognize that we're broken men and women and we're in need of a Savior. That had already happened. So theologians will say that this is an, uh, the example of sanctification, right? A continual cleaning that needs to happen to us every day because we live in a broken world full of sin, right? Our salvation isn't dependent on it, but we continually need to be clean. And it's true. But there was something so much greater here. He's saying, Peter, if you don't let me do this, if you don't partake in this, you have no part in me. Remember walking on water just a little while ago? That doesn't make a difference. Remember all those miracles that we did, all that stuff that we did together, demons and raising people from the dead? None of that matters if you don't catch this. And it wasn't the act of just let me wash your feet. He says, because you letting me do this means that you realize and you get that your heart is in the wrong place and that you need to catch this ideal. You need to catch this idea that the greater you become, the more of a servant, the more of a slave. And if you don't get that, you have no part in me. And that should be convicting for us. That should be challenging for us. That should wake us up. And it's not easy to leave and at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning when you're back at your job. Actually, not tomorrow because it's a holiday. Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. when you're at your job. And you say, Ryan, okay, what does all this mean? It sounds good. 
but we know it's really hard. What do I actually do? What, what do we actually do then? How about at work? Don't just work with people, but care for them. Not all of us are managers or CEOs. Not all of us have that position, but why not just work with people? Why don't you care about them? Ask them how they're doing, praying for them. Be a good coworker. If you are a CEO or a manager or director, don't just utilize them, the peons, to get the job done. You have an opportunity to let them go up the corporate ladder just like you did, to learn their way, to learn techniques, to become better at their job and at their craft. Do you think about those things? What about at home? Are you serving your spouse? Are you serving your family that you live with? Is it, well, no, I don't do that job anymore. Well, no, I, I, that's not me. I'm going to be honest with you. I'll be the first to admit it. I'm not perfect at this. I mess up. I make mistakes. I say stupid things. I get angry about dumb things. The kids and little kids' craziness makes me do crazy things. I'm not perfect at it, but I'm trying. At home, are we serving? Friendships. Is it always my way? It's always my way? It's got to be me first. I got to recognize what I need. You need to do what I need you to do. The thing I want to do is more important than the thing you want to do. How about spiritually? Are we too busy to pray? Are we too busy to read scripture? When's the last time you picked up your Bible? Are we too busy to do those things because we're seeking after something else that doesn't even matter and isn't in the value system of Jesus? How about church? Hey, but isn't it all just covered? I see people greeting. I see people doing stuff. Isn't it covered? I just show up. I say this with sincerity. We have a saying that we want to be a people in this church that we want to serve, not just sit. We want to connect, not just consume. And we want to tithe, we don't want to tip. We want to be involved, we want to be generous, we want to be a part of a family. We use that term a lot here. We're a family. What does it mean, 8 a.m., Tuesday morning when you're back at work? It's the hard issue. Having the incentives, having the, the, the things that come along, more vacation, I got four weeks, they only got two, but that's all right. It's not that those things are bad, but when they are added to the already consuming things that add up to our hearts where we're thinking that we're better than other people. That's what Jesus wants us to identify with. Get rid of the rights, get rid of the privileges that we have. It's not about how many rights I have, it's what am I willing to give up for somebody else. That's the question. And ultimately we know that Jesus did the ultimate act of sacrifice and modeling of this when he gave his life for us. And that's a beautiful thing. How many of you are glad that, you, that Jesus paid the price for you? That's perspective. As long as we keep that thing number one, everything else kind of fits in its place when we remember. Let me pray for you this morning. I love you guys. God, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you again for your sovereignty, that you are good. And God, I pray for each person who is here this morning, God, that you would speak to their hearts. God, that you would illuminate for each one of us in a real practical way. God, the areas where we just quite aren't living up to this standard that you've set for us. And it's okay. There's moments when we want to realize those things. We don't just always want to be leaving with, with hope and, and, and anticipation and, and it's all good. Sometimes the moments are tough and we got to wrestle through things. But God, you say in your word there's a promise that when we live by these kingdom principles, these five different things that seem opposite from our world and the kingdom that we live in, it actually will change our life. It's not just a topic that sounds good on a Sunday morning, but God, this is things that you designed for us to operate. We know that there are people that don't even believe in you who operate under one of these things and they see the benefits of it. 
There are lots of generous people in this world that are rich and give money to certain things that don't even have a relationship with you, and they still get the benefit of it. It's because these are rules and values and principles that are honestly really at play. And so God, as always, we give you our heart. We want to be changed. We want to be more like you. That we thank you that you sent your son and that he gave his life for us, the ultimate act of servanthood and slavery. If anybody had the right to claim privileges, it was him, but he didn't. God, we want to be like him. Let it not just be words, let it not, not just be thoughts, but God, we want to apply this to our lives to see and make a difference in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.